Hey guys, and welcome back to Pop Culture Quorum Deo. It has been a hot minute since we have been with you. We hit a dry run there where there weren't a ton of movies that uh, we thought had much to say, and uh, maybe they didn't have as much mass appeal. And so we've we've been on sabbatical a little bit. Uh, We're glad to be back with you. Uh, I'm Jeff Wright, one of your regular hosts, and I'm here as usual with Jared Moore. Jared, have you been spending the time since we last talked to you? I've been busy with ministry and dissertation, man. Party time. Yeah, that sounds really fascinating. <laughs> yep. Um, I, I mean, that's seriously, like, I think your your <laughs> academic work's interesting. So if you got to take some time off, taking it off to do uh, to do some scholarships, a good a good thing to be occupying your time with, right? Yeah, you and my advisors, and that might be the only people who read this thing. So, well, I don't know if that's the case or not, but you know what they call people whose dissertations never get read outside of uh, their advisors, right? Doctors. Exactly. So soon you'll be Dr. Moore. <laughs> hey, yeah. Um, you going to call me doctor? Uh, jury's out on that one right now. Still. Are in you going to introduce me? Are you going to introduce me on this show as Dr. Moore? Uh, yeah, I'm praying about that. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of world do we live in where I, where I get to be a doctor? <laughs> yeah, I, I want I want to treat you like they do doctors in comic books. You know, if, if a character in a comic book is the doctor, they can do everything from rebuild an engine to launch a successful space program. And yeah. so I'm just going to assume that it gives you those kind of abilities as well. That would be awesome. So you'll just come to me for advice about everything. Yeah. If I if I start referring to you as doctor, I'm, I'm it's likely going to be like I refer to you as like Dr. Turd or something like that. <laughs> That's good. That'll work. <laughs> that is a reference to something that's coming up in an upcoming segment. But uh, before we get there, I want to ask you sort of our opening question lately. Are you watching or reading anything good lately? Um, I've been watching, uh, and I've watched it from the beginning, Better Call Saul. Oh, yeah. D- did you watch Breaking Bad? I did. I did. Do now, you again, think that Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad? I actually like it better. Um, Breaking Bad was a little too, I don't know, seedy, underbelly for me. Um, gross. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was, I don't know, it was a little too a little too rough. But uh, Better Call Saul is more mild. I tell you, though, they know how to do drama. I mean, man, they know how to do drama. Like, I, Amber and I will be watching it, and it's a dude sitting in a car for 10 minutes. And he's like... I mean, (laughs) why are we watching this? But it keeps you engaged in the story. They know how to tell a story. Yeah. It's the same showrunner, right? I think so. Yeah, Mm. I think I think it is. It's AMC. Um, It's just it's it's just interesting. And the characters are so developed. And uh, I don't know the dude's name. He used to write for SNL, though. Um, The guy who plays um, Saul or Jimmy. Um, Wait, what is Jimmy and Saul the same thing? I think so. Okay, I think so. I think he, I think uh, his name is Jimmy, but uh, I think he goes by Saul later on. Okay, but, so uh, what you said about Breaking Bad is why I gave up on it. I, you know, I think it's important that we have stories like Breaking Bad out there in the cultural consciousness. I think I said consciousness in the cultural consciousness, uh, but I just did not want to go with that guy into the sewer, and I, so I checked out after the first season, mm-hmm. and it just. You know, I never because of that. I never really wanted to jump in with Better Call Saul, but it seems like the hot take online is that Better Call Saul may be better even than Breaking Bad. Yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. Um, I th- I think you would because it's. I think Christy would too. I think if both of y'all sit down and and watch it from the beginning, it uh, man, it's just engaging. I don't know how else to say it. And well, it's I love stuff that's character driven. You know, yeah, it's definitely character driven. And the bad guy, I love the well, not the bad guy, but the the cop in uh, Breaking Bad. Um, the guy who did a lot of the dirty work, like the ex-cop. Oh, I don't uh, know who that would be. The only cop I was aware of from season one was his uh, was Walter's brother-in-law. Walter's brother? No, not that one. It was the older fella who looks. He looks mean. I mean, he's got a like a bulldog face. Huh. Um, but he's in Better Call Saul too. And uh, man, he's such a great character. Okay. Yeah, he he's amazing. He's part of the, one of the main reasons I watched the show. Like, um, I love him. Love that character. He's just tough as nails. I mean, just uh, it's just hard to hard to explain. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, I think I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah, and we uh, may have to give that a run. You you turned us on to a comedy that will go unnamed on here, uh, but you turned us on to a comedy lately that that we are really enjoying. So maybe we ought to take you up on this drama too. 
Yeah, that drama. And of course, there's conscience warnings, I'm sure, in that. I mean, it's mainly language. Um, and it, there's still a little seedy stuff, but it's nothing compared to Breaking Bad. I mean, Breaking Bad was, yeah, it was, it got, I'm, I used to watch Prison Break back in the day, and Prison Break got, got that way too later on. Like, very, when they ended up in a, a prison down in Mexico, and it, it got really um, rough quick, but. Well, all right. Better call Saul, I guess. You know, add that to the watch list. Anything you're reading outside of your academic work? No, mainly just academic stuff, man. And, um, you know, I wish I could do some fun reading. I, d- I have been listening to Lore, um, and I've enjoyed that. So that, if if you're not familiar, listener, that's Aaron Minky's Lore podcast, which is also now, I guess, an Amazon original mm-hmm. television show. I listened to probably the first 20 to 30 episodes of that thing mm-hmm. and eventually kind of, I don't know, just moved on to other stuff. But I remember really enjoying the first handful of episodes there. Yeah, I'm about 75 episodes in. I think there's 90 something, but like they're like he's had over 100 million downloads by episode 70. Like mm-hmm. it, it's it's just crazy the amount of and they're only like half an hour. But um, but it, I think he takes he's got to take some liberty with this stuff. But um, but it's very fascinating. He can tell like loosely historical fiction. I mean, it, it, it's just it's there's enough truth in there. Um, you know, like you see on a movie based on a true story, and it's mm-hmm. like there's very there's just a few things that are true. You know, and yeah. he he weaves the rest of it, and it's really good. Yeah, he's a good storyteller. I remember there was something about his cadence, and who am I to speak about somebody else's cadence? But there was something about his cadence that I didn't care for. But you know how some podcast apps will let you um, like skip silent sections. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I turned that setting on, I was I was in. I was ready to go. That was the magic bullet for me. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he's got to be a millionaire now, uh, just from doing a podcast. It's yeah. it's a uh, because he's got Penguin uh, Books has signed him to a multi uh, multi deal. Um, a multi deal, huh? That sounds impressive. Multi books, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dude, I wish I could punch you through the microphone. Like, like would you? Would, I, you, would that be a multi punch? <laughs> Dude, when I become a doctor, I'll be able to punch you through the microphone. That's your new nickname, Doctor Multi Punch. There we go. It will remind me to hit you next time I see you. Yeah, I'll I'll get right on that. I got broken ribs still though. Oh, good. Remind me to hit you back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for my part, I decided I wanted to read The Shining finally. I've read several of Stephen King's novels, but I figured it was time to to take on The Shining. And when I mentioned that to my wife, she said, well, I've never seen the movie. So, of course, I've got to rectify that, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll tell you, man, I get why everybody loves The Shining as a movie. Mm -hmm. I also now understand why Stephen King hates it. The, uh, the, The thing that stands out the most from reading the book as I'm also watching it with my watching the movie with my wife, is that Jack Torrance in the book is so much more of a sympathetic character. You know all the craziness that's going to land on him and, and turn him into a monster. But Stephen King writes him in such a way that you're rooting against it the whole time. Like, I just keep, you know, subconsciously being like, no, this, you know, this guy's not going to go off the rails. But then when you turn on the movie, uh, who's going to criticize, you know, Jack Nicholson, right? As mm-hmm. a as an actor, but that dude is crazy from the minute you meet him in the movie and mm-hmm. you're just counting down the seconds till he blows up on somebody. Mm-hmm. And it, it just really undercuts the emotional connection you have with the character. Cause again, he's nuts. So from the moment he steps into the overlook that take the interview and it's just not the way it is in the book. And so if anybody out there is interested uh, in that story, I think the book's well worth reading or throw it on an audio book and listen to it. I think you'll feel your heartstrings more engaged than they were with uh, the Shining, the movie. Anyway, you know, in the, in the movie, your your sympathies are for the wife and the and the son, mm-hmm. and that's certainly true in the book. But you also understand how the wife is with this guy and how he has been on an arc of like becoming a better person prior to taking the Overlook job, and I don't know, it's just much more tragic. Um, so. Mm-hmm. There's also a documentary called Room 271. Are you familiar with this? No, but I've heard you speak about it. Yeah, so I also recommend this to anybody out there who's interested in documentaries or 
uh, interpretive lenses that people use. So, Jared, Room 271 in the movie, it's 217 in the book, but in the movie, Room 271 is where the craziest stuff happens. You know, there's mm-hmm. a particular ghost who haunts that room, and uh, Danny meets him or meets her, and then Jack meets her, and it's just it's a thing. Well, this documentary takes its name from that room, and it's four different people offering different interpretations of the movie. So one person thinks that, you know, the, uh, the, the Shining is a metaphor for the way Native Americans were treated by uh, Americans as they colonized the West. Hmm. Another person thinks that The Shining as a movie is uh, Roman Polanski apologizing for being the one who faked the moon landing footage. Oh, wow. And, and there's just there's a couple other ones. And, of course, none of these things are super compelling. But I will say, I guess maybe I shouldn't let this be recorded, but they make a better case for their their position than I would have expected going in. I don't think any of them are right, but it just reminds me that committed people with enough time, you know, they're going to come up with some kind of narrative, even if it's divorced from the historical reality. And, mm-hmm. you know, basically as a as a pastor – it's really hard to get away from your own interpretive lens to try to get back to an objective look at the text. And that, that documentary does a good job of reminding me just how susceptible to that danger I am. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting, man. I need to look that up. Where'd you find it at? Uh, I think it's on Amazon or it's either on Amazon, Netflix, or YouTube. It had to be one of those three. I watched it on. So, yeah, I also got the new Spider-Man game for PlayStation 4, and it's awesome. But I've had like 10 minutes to play it. I, I basically put it in long enough for my kids to watch me you know, swing around to Spider-Man because they're young enough to be super excited about Spider-Man mm-hmm. and had to take it out. But it, it's really fun. That's cool, man. I haven't bought a new game in a while. Like I, it, like around Christmas time, I'll buy like 10 of the game of the years for the past, you know, like 10 years ago. Yeah. Like I'll, yeah. like I'll, cause they're like $7 and I'll, I'll buy them and the kids are just amazed by them, you know? I'll, um, so I haven't bought anything new in a long time. Yeah. Well, me either, actually. I, uh, it's been, been quite a while for me too, but this one looked good enough. And I, I love the Spider-Man games back on the original PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought, man, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on this one. And my 10 minutes have, have indicated that it was a good investment. Oh, Maybe yeah, one of these cool, days I get to play it through. I love Spider-Man. Second favorite. Yeah. Behind Batman? Yeah. I got you. Well, all right. That'll wrap up our What You Watching segment. Let's get into... So sorry to interrupt. All right, Jerry, got a few things to throw at you this week. Burt Reynolds died at 82 years old. You a big Burt Reynolds fan? Not at all, man. Yeah. So any movies of his you remember watching? Um, I mean, I've seen several of his, the Smoking the Bandit. I've seen Deliverance. Um, I've seen The Longest Yard. Um, I've seen most of his movies, but it there it's been a long time ago. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I can't really remember him. I heard someone eulogizing him and said that he was basically the epitome or the face of the seventies, and that was before our time. And so. Mm-hmm. I think we missed it. I, I've seen all the ones you just mentioned. I've also seen Cannonball Run, kind of a wacky, wacky race movie. Um, mm-hmm. Same same person I heard talking about Burt dying, talking about how he captured the 70s. Um, he said that he was better at being a movie star than he was being an actor. And I thought that mm-hmm. was kind of fitting, except for Deliverance. Uh, I mean, that, you know, that movie has a lot of unfortunate stuff in it. But Burt Reynolds really comes into his own, I think, there. Like, I believe that he's a guy who would lead a bunch of friends into a, you know, a wilderness adventure for the weekend. I also believe that he's the guy they're all going to look to when things go sideways. I believe he's the one who can find it within himself to get them out, even if he wouldn't have known that going in. And so mm-hmm. I'm not going to recommend anybody go check out Deliverance if they haven't seen it already. But that that's the movie to me that... that I don't know. That tells me why Burt Reynolds was a big deal, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. He he's all he's one of those dudes that I was always like, why is this guy a womanizer? Like, he, I, I mean, you know, I I, under, I understand more so like a women drooling over Brad Pitt, but Burt Reynolds, like I, I, <laughs> those giant eyebrows and stuff. I just always uh, not an was, eyebrows fan, there, Jerry. <laughs> Apologies <laughs> to all the heavy heavy lidded listeners out there. <laughs> I was just always surprised 
Um, I don't know. See if we I thought some kind of eyebrow grooming company to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> Dude, I have no eyebrows. <laughs> like, have you seen my eyebrows? Yeah, you 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 virtually are like powder. Remember that movie? Your powder. Have you seen my sons? I have. Like, like, dude, none of them hardly have any eyebrows. <laughs> I'm thankful that my daughter does, but mm. my, my boys they got cursed with daddy's eyebrows, man. Yeah. Sorry, also to Anthony Davis, unibrow out there. Jerry <laughs> just dropping hot takes about the eyebrows. <laughs> um, I couldn't find anything online about his religious commitments. Everything you find, kind of trying to catch up on him, is that he was a serial womanizer. It looks like. He did eventually come to regret it to some degree, but mm-hmm. I don't know if that was actual repentance over sin or just, you know, sort of the end of all flesh drawing near and him, his conscience activating. I, I, I think he regretted losing Sally Field. Like, that's what I've seen. Yeah. That he, I think she was the only, what, the only woman he ever loved or, or mm. something like that. Really? It's kind of pitiful, kind of sad hearing him describe it. It was in, it was in a recent interview, I think, in the past six months. Yeah. I mean, that's very much a, um, not with Sally Field, just what you read about the end of his life. It's very much a, what does a man gain if he you know, gains the whole world but loses his soul story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, rest I in peace, Burt Reynolds, yeah. but hard to believe he actually is based on what was known about him in his public life. You know? Yeah. That's I a sad, he, sad commentary. I hope he... I don't know. I hope he had a final opportunity. Yeah. And and the grace of the Lord would be available to him and just as powerful in the last moment of his life as it would be at any other point. So I join Absolutely. you in that hope. Uh, football's back. You excited for that, Jared, or are you having to ignore it because of your studies? Uh, this is the least excited I've been. Um, but, dude, this past week weekend was Looney Tunes. Like, I, I got to watch uh, some of the uh, – Oh, D- Detroit game. Mm-hmm. Good night. Talk about a tell of two halves. Oh, my goodness. And then uh, I got to watch Aaron Rodgers possessed by a demon or something. Um, he, there's You talk about demonic influence. There's got to be some, something going on there. Man, you were coming out hot against like heavy eyebrows and Packers fans. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, come on. They have they they been. I mean, maybe it was a god thing, but you see, <laughs> you were speculating wildly across the spectrum at this point. Well, I mean, the second half after he gets injured. Oh yeah, one legged. It was incredible. One, yeah, he's just. I mean, and it's not just that. Before he got injured, several. I mean, how many hail marys did he throw like to the end zone? Timeout. Time ticks off the clock. And I think there were like three in one season. It's just crazy. He's uh, so and not only that, but I had uh, there were several like record breaking defensive performances like Khalil Mack um, after being traded. <laughs> oh, I know. Gruden, and he Gruden got an egg on his face on that one. He hadn't even been he hadn't even been in training camp. And then you've got uh, T.J. Watt. I mean, he had a crazy game and like a block kick, a forced fumble, a recovery, two or three sacks. And um, same way with, uh, oh, who's the Denver guy? Vaughn Miller. Yeah, but I didn't even see that. So he had a renaissance game. Vaughn's getting a few miles on the odometer. Oh, he went berserk. Really? Yeah. He had it was like two forced fumbles, three sacks. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. The There were several standout performances. And then... Um, uh, you were curious about who who like picked to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Who would you pick? I think the Saints, man. If their running back stays healthy, didn't I mean, they just get destroyed by Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Bucks? I think they did lose the shootout, but I think they'll come around. I think that was a fluke. But Jared, out of all the hot takes on this podcast that you've dropped so far, the post Ryan Fitzpatrick Saints uh, as Super Bowl contenders is the hottest of hot takes right here. <laughs> I really wish we gambled. <laughs> I'd love to bet you. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to bet, man. I'm not going to bet. But that that's who I would pick. I think uh I mean if they can get together on the defensive side, they'll be they'll be something spectacular. But, you know, the Packers and um Packers, the Raiders, I mean, mm. I think the Raiders lost too. I mean, week 1 is overreaction week. That's just what happens. Um, but just coming coming into the season, I, like you said about this year, last year was probably the least interested I've been 
particularly because the Titans, I just didn't believe in their coaching staff and thought that they were, you know, every effort they made was futile as long as that coaching staff was in place. And so this year I kind of let myself get talked into the Titans a little bit and get excited about new coaching staff. And yeah, Marriott is not that bad and good defense, blah, 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 blah. And it's, you know, there's no such thing as the football gods, but if there were, they they designed a week one to just crush the life out of any Titan fan who had hope. It was just brutal. Oh, yeah. Delaney Walker's out for the season. Mariota got hurt. Taylor Lewan, probably the best player on the team, is out. They were already missing their right tackle. It just all hope was snuffed out. I mean, I've still got my fantasy teams, but pretty clearly my rooting interest is gone. Um, I guess speaking about being demon-possessed, I guess – if I'm going to pick a, you know, Super Bowl, if I'm going to make a Super Bowl prediction, I'm going to pick the Patriots because we live in a fallen world and those guys <laughs> continue to access dark powers to propel themselves back into the the spotlight. So, I mean, if you look at if you look at the at the league, it's hard to find anybody who's even in their tier. You, you know, maybe the Steelers, but they didn't look super great week one. Ben's getting a little bit older, even though I think he's you know considerably younger than Brady. Nonetheless, he looks like he's getting a few miles on him. Mm-hmm. The Le'Veon Bell situation's weird. I just don't know who else to even say is a is a contender alongside the Patriots. Yeah, dude, Pittsburgh though. I mean, they couldn't even beat Cleveland. Like, oh yeah, but uh, how how Cleveland is it? to break their losing streak by not winning a game. Isn't that the most Cleveland thing ever? It is. It is, absolutely. But they're probably celebrating that tie. Oh, I guarantee you. (laughs) Guarantee you. You know, the Ravens destroyed Buffalo. Like, Buffalo was supposed to have a good defense. Yeah, well, I dislike the the Ravens going all the way back to, like, Ray Lewis (laughs) and and his battles with Steve McNair and Eddie George with the Titans. Yeah. So I'm delighted by the Ravens doing that because I think that means they're going to keep starting Joe Flacco for a little while longer. And that's exactly what somebody who's rooting against them wants to see happen. So, oh yeah, good deal. You just leave Lamar Jackson on the sidelines there. Keep keep trotting old uh, old Flacco out there. You keep keep believing in him. The Los Angeles Rams, dude. I mean, if they can, I yeah. Mean, on they paper, they're the other team that you would like say may be in the Patriots class. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, that's the other one on paper that looks credible to me anyway. Mm-hmm. Interesting. They've got to put it together, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you root for anybody in the NCAA? Um, just UT, man, and um, I like Kentucky. You mean the actual UT, University of Tennessee, not the pretender out there in Texas? Yeah, absolutely. there's not another one, is there? It's just Tennessee. Yeah, I just I need to be clear about what UT actually is. UT. Yeah, you're talking about football, NCAA football. I like UT. I mean, that, they're the only ones I follow. I just I don't have time to follow college and NFL, and so I kind of hang my hat in the NFL and then um, watch UT football. Yeah, well, <laughs> you will not have to worry about making championship predictions if UT is all you're watching. <laughs> it's going to be a long year. It has uh-huh. never been the same since former. I mean, yeah. that's true. That's true. And uh, we keep feels back though, baby. He's he's got his hand on the ship now. I guess. He's going to steer us back. We keep hiring and firing and, I don't know, just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. (laughs) It has been dark days for Vols fans, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, all right, man. We've got one last question, and we'll get into the thing that pays the bills here. Um, So we're reviewing a horror movie this week. Spoiler alert, if you didn't read the title of the episode. Uh, You and I both enjoy that genre, Jared, and that may be surprising to some people who know that we're both – Uh, Christians who are talking about movies from a Christian perspective. Uh, But if there's others like us out there, other believers who want to watch more horror movies, uh, would you throw them uh, them an underrated horror movie as a recommendation? Yeah, In the Mouth of Madness. Um, It's a John Carpenter film. It's got Sam Neill in it. Great actor. Um, Yeah, great actor. Great story. And it'll probably keep keep you up at night. Yeah, okay. It's on Shudder now. It, for those who may subscribe to the, you know, Shudder is a horror movie uh, streaming service. And I saw that they acquired In the Mouth of Madness, I guess, last month. So oh, okay. anybody out there with Shudder can watch it. Yeah. That, have you seen that? Have you seen it? No, Mouth I haven't. I'm a big John Carpenter fan, uh, but I've not seen that one. I need to remedy that. In fact, two of the movies that you have told me you love and that you think are underappreciated, I've not seen either one of them. I've not seen In the Mouth of Madness. I've not seen The Monster Squad. Yeah, the Monster Squad I, I enjoyed as a kid. It, it's one of those I love coming of age yeah, movies. I do. I do too. And um and this one is actually 
it's it's almost a horror comedy, but it, it's because it, most coming of age stuff is like that. You know, it's got funny parts in it. Yeah. Um, and I think there's some conscience stuff in there, listeners. So just be careful. You know, make sure you look that up before you watch it. But it is scary. Like it's genuinely like I don't know. There's just some. There's some good acting. There's some. I mean, uh, it's worth definitely worth watching. All right. Well, I did plan to check both of those out one of these days. Lord willing, the creeks don't rise. Um, for me, if I was going to pitch an idea, one one movie you can find a review of in our archives, it's The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I'm a huge fan of that movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's underappreciated. Um, so, yeah, I think people listen to this podcast, if if – if conscience, you know, I assume that conscience issues are something you're concerned about. There's some bad language in Emily Rose. There's obviously some some demonic imagery, but it's not a movie with gratuitous sexual content or anything like that. It's a, it's a supernatural horror movie, but it's also a legal drama, and I like both of those. So if you haven't seen it, give it a watch and uh, listen to our review. I think you, you won't be disappointed. The other one that I think falls into the same line, and it's been a while since I've seen it. Maybe, Jared, you can correct me. I don't think there's any nudity or gratuitous sex in it, but I'm I'm sure there's some some foul language in it. it is a movie called Frailty that has Matthew McConaughey in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's, there's nothing sexual in that movie. Okay. Um, so... I don't want to ruin anything for you about that movie if you hadn't seen it, but I also think it's underappreciated and it has it has elements that religious people may be interested in. Again, there's there's sort of this demonic issue there, but also how do how do families with religious perspectives, um, you know, how can that be warped and uh, how can it actually turn out to be, you know, the 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 more reliable guide to reality? So just a good movie all the way around. If you're looking for something to scare you, that's not going to parade, you know, the human body inappropriately in front of you. So yeah, that one's that's a good call. I'd put that. I agree with you. I'd put that there too. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jared, that will be the end of this week's. So sorry to interrupt. You ready to talk about the nun? Absolutely. Okay, guys. So, spoiler warnings from this point on. We we're going to talk to uh, each other about this movie. And if you're listening, we assume you have heard, you've excuse me, watched the movie, or you're happy to hear spoilers about it. Uh, I'm going to start off with IMDb's summary of the movie. Hey, let me let me say first. Uh, this is my favorite third nun movie. This is my third favorite nun movie, right behind. <laughs> My favorite third movie, excuse me, I can't even say it. My favorite third nun movie is actually the list that I want to see more than your favorite uh, movie about nuns. So Uh, Sister Act is on the list, right? Yeah, Sister Act 1 and (laughs) 2. And this is number 3. Oh, no. Okay. A lot of similarities here uh, between Sister Act. (laughs) I was waiting for Whoopi to jump out, man. I was waiting for her to jump out. (laughs) All right. That bit of foolishness aside... Here's the IMDb summary. A priest with a haunted past and a novice on the threshold of her final vows as a nun are sent by the Vatican to investigate the death of a young nun in Romania and confront a malevolent force in the form of a demonic nun. So if you are a fan of the Conjuring universe, you probably already know this character. Uh, it, it is the visible representation of a demon named Valak, which has been mentioned in previous Conjuring movies. And the nun actually shows up in The Conjuring 2 in uh, confrontation with Via Farmiga's character, Lorraine Warren. She's in The Study with Ed. Ed had painted this character that he had had a nightmare about. Mm. And she's in the office alone looking at it. And the, the nun comes out of the painting to chase her around the office and whatnot. Um, was it in? Uh, was it in uh, one of the Annabelles too? Like pushing the girl oh, in it the may wheelchair? Have been. It may have been. Yeah, in uh, Creation, it may have been. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Uh, I mean, Jerry, just to put this all up front, I can't remember being more let down by a movie than I was by this one. I feel like the hype for this movie was unreal, mm-hmm. uh, and. I got really excited for it when San Diego Comic-Con was going on because they have the Scare Diego event that's sort of a run-up to to Mm Comic-Con. And everybody there was like, man, we saw test footage. It's incredible. It got a standing ovation. It's so scary. You remember YouTube pulled down one of the trailers because it was too scary or something? And I just was so excited to go into the movie theater and, and see 
I mean, another installment of the Conjuring universe. That that's right. as reliable of a franchise as there is in Hollywood right now, mm-hmm. and one that was supposed to blow me away. And man, I I mean, I think we had similar experiences. I don't want to step on too much what you're going to say, but I remember a lot of times being like, "This movie needs to hurry up and get somewhere." Mm-hmm. It's definitely the worst in the Conjuring universe. Oh, and- okay. So yet another hot take. I'm going to challenge that here in just a minute, but carry on. Oh really? There's a, there's one worse than this? I think so. Yeah. Oh wow! I gotta. I need to figure out what that is. <laughs> I thought this was pretty bad. Um, and I, I I feel like they they bank too much on the universe. They bank too much on the conjuring the on the heels like this. You know, let's just get another movie out there type mm-hmm. thing instead of weaving a, a good story. Well, you're definitely right that the story is one of the major problems with this thing. And you're you're probably right that it is that they're just assuming that because people are frightened by previous Conjuring movies, they will be with this one, too. But, you know, my problem with the story is that they just threw everything they could at the wall and assumed a bunch of it would stick. And mm-hmm. it just got exhausting. Um, <laughs> it probably doesn't help to me. Uh that every time I see the nun, the first thing that happens in my mind is I think, well, I'm glad Marilyn Manson is finding work. <laughs> you know? That is awesome. <laughs> the nun couldn't look more like him. <laughs> uh, it's just really hard for me to see past uh, that that connection. So, you know, the first time she showed up in The Conjuring, that was that was my idea. Like, oh, he found a way to stay relevant. Good on him. Uh, but, man, I mean. You literally at the you know within the first couple minutes of this movie you have uh, a guy approaching a medieval castle with a giant black crow cawing outside of it mm-hmm. and then pecking a dead body. I mean, like the tropes that they use, it, you know, you can go back to like stuff we've seen in every horror movie previous. If you're looking at it ironically, you know, and you're kind of commenting on it. But you can't just play it straight anymore, man. Like, this stuff is tired, and it was tired before, you know, before movies were colorized. Mm-hmm. But then they would, uh, then they'd flip it hard into like, oh, we're supposed to be frightened about how God's not present in this area. And I just thought that the shotgun approach really failed them. Like, yeah, stick with one thing. Either make a straightforward, scary haunted house movie, make a demon movie. You know, do something original. Any one of those options is going to take you somewhere, but trying to do all three, uh, it just ruined it. Mm-hmm. So before I guess we get into analyzing it, I I still think the original Annabelle is worse than this movie. Really? Okay. Yeah. The only good thing about the original Annabelle uh, is the 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 woman who plays the main character, Mia. Uh, her the the actress's name is Annabelle Annabelle Wallace, and I think she's really good in that movie. I think she's about the only thing that's good in that movie. Uh, by the time you see the demon holding the doll up and making it move, I'm ready to turn that thing off. But there's still like two fifths of the movie left. Mm. Um, I, you know, conversely, I think that I never can pronounce her name right. Vera Farmiga's daughter, Tysa, Tysa, however you say that, the the one who plays the young, soon to be nun in this movie. I think she's really good, and I thought the. The guy playing the priest alongside of her, I've I've never seen him before. I Mm -hmm. thought he did a pretty good job of playing a a guy who's seen some stuff, but is not the stereotypical, like, you know, he's an alcoholic and gruff and mean to everybody around him, Mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was good. And sort of those two elements put together, both of those performances are enough to raise it over Annabelle for me. Okay. I'm not going to tell you to go back and watch Annabelle, but if you go back and watch Annabelle, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm I'm suspicious you would agree with me on that. Really? Okay. I'll have to check it out because I really dislike this movie. <laughs> yeah, this movie was pretty bad. It's such a letdown. Again, just such a stinking letdown. I remember being let down by um, Avatar, if I can go way back, because the hype around that movie was so big, and then it just wanted to preach at me about environmentalism. Mm-hmm. But at least it was visually compelling, uh, and the 3D thing was a, was a novelty at that time. This movie just overpromised and failed to deliver. Dude, I think they've got. I might be wrong, but I think there's four more of those coming out. Avatar. Avatar. Oh my god. I, I think they've already made them. Like I think they made them all similar to how they did Lord of the Rings, and they're just going to release them like 
in four years in a row or something. Hollywood's broken, man. Did you see there's a new Magnum PI TV show? No, I didn't. I'm done, it's man. A giant mustache guy. Yeah, it it's so terrible. What passes for creativity and storytelling right now in major motion pictures and television offerings? It's just there's a new MacGyver. A I saw that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, my mom watches it some. I don't know. I'm nostalgic over the old one because me and my dad used to watch it. <laughs> well, I know there's a there's a new Lethal Weapon too. Uh, whatever, man. Whatever. We're here talking about the nun and. <laughs> Not bumhole in the state of Hollywood. So, Jared, you know what we do here. Um, we go through the story that God himself is telling in cosmic history, telling the story of his son. And that story shows up in four acts. It is God's good creation where he creates everything according to his will and declares that it is good. And he enjoys that creation. But then it fall. we see a fall because the creation turns in rebellion against the creator. Death enters, destruction, chaos. But ultimately, the creator is more committed to his purposes than to allow chaos to to have the final say. And so he sends a redeemer. And through that redeemer, he undoes everything that's gone wrong, restores all things better than they were uh, if the, the fall had never taken place and sets his son, the redeemer, on a throne, brings all things in conformity to him and then builds a glorious future for his son and his people coming after. So we walk through creation, fall, redemption, and glorification, see what this movie says about those elements and uh, the degree to which it either tells the truth or a lie about God's world. So, Jerry, when we talk about creation in this movie, what do you see here that's creationally good? Well, I mean, it's supposed to be like our world, right? Um, I mean, it's there's good, there's a clear good, there's a clear evil. There's there's more. I don't know. It's like they tried to. I mean, there were some good thing. There's there's some truthful things that they said that we agree with um, okay. biblically, and so that was. I thought that was positive. But then there were some uh, almost a yin yang type mentality too. Um, so what are almost, some of the good things they say? Well, for example, the kids are asking the, I can't remember the young nun, uh, young nun's name. Um, like in school, when they first show her, she's, she's got dinosaurs and she's playing with them. And, and the kids are like, they're, you know, they're asking her about why dinosaurs aren't in the Bible and, and, uh, you know, should we believe in them? And the, the nun says, well, you know, she names a couple of other animals that aren't in the Bible and says, do you believe that those existed? And I don't know. I just thought I, I thought that was a good way to handle um, that discussion as far as, you know, whether or not the Bible, whether or not the Bible is true or not, whether, you know, not mentioning dinosaurs somehow disproves scripture, but it doesn't. But yeah. Um, OK. OK. But that, that's one example. And then I like the. I li- I say I like the, you know, uh, the relics, I think, are silly. Um, Religious relics, right? Coming out of uh, Catholicism. Yes. And actually having a vial with the blood of Christ in it or a little glass casing of it. Um, you know, I mean, I, there are worse ways to overcome demons. I mean, it, it, this wasn't the typical exorcism, priest exorcism that we've seen, right? Where you've got you've to go through all these um, at least it was the blood of Christ that eradicates. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, yeah, it, that's it, a fair point. Like it's ham-handed and and clumsy and I don't know, awkward. But yeah, the blood of Christ, even if it's being used as a talisman, is the thing that over overcomes evil. That's a good point, Jared. I should grant that to that movie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I thought those things were good. I mean, there's there's a lot we can debate on, but. As far as creation, those were the things that were good. Yeah, and love, and love. What do you think, though? That love, it wasn't really a a love conquering, love conquers all type thing. It was what Christ or good always wins over evil, or well, something along those lines. I think this was much more of a yin yang kind of ending. Mm-hmm. Remember, because yeah, she. <laughs> this sounds so stupid saying it out loud, but it, it felt just as stupid watching it. She apparently at some point, Sister Irene, the young nun, uh, takes the vial of Jesus's blood into her mouth and spits it in the face of the demon. And the demon does the Wicked Witch of the West routine and is sent back to hell. And, you know, all's well in the world, except we see at the end that Frenchie, the, you know, the muscle in the movie has got this mark on his neck that makes it look like he's possessed. And they you know, they fast forward to tie it in with the conjuring where um, Frenchie eventually is, you know, experiencing an exorcism 
conducted by the Warrens and uh, you know Lorraine has a has a violent confrontation with the entity that's possessing Frenchie and so I mean yeah Jesus's blood won but temporarily you know mm-hmm. I don't know it's just hard for me to be enthusiastic about this one. Oh yeah absolutely yeah that's a good point I, it, it's odd though maybe it was another entity or something I don't know well no I mean if you if you kind of trace it through which I've done uh, Lorraine freaks out and w- doesn't want to do you know more work after you know what we learn is her participating in the exorcism of Frenchie and she eventually connects it to Valak and you know there, it's the I'm sure it'll be the conjuring three because it's the thing that she doesn't want to talk about it was this too painful an experience that she had to recover from for months and they just kind of allude to it as a bad season in her life in the in the existing movies so mm. Yeah, that's it. That's interesting. So even the blood of Christ can't stop this thing. Apparently not. It's just a demon, but the blood of Christ is not powerful enough. You you got to have these spiritualists, these uh, this man and woman. Um, anyway, yeah. So uh, what's fallen in this movie other than the movie? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there was. I don't know. The the three were sacrificial um, toward one another. Oh, we're still uh, so, talking about good things then, right? Well, I mean, like Fallen, I'm trying to think of what was Fallen. The, the, there is a clear, distinct good and a clear evil. What do you think? Let me, well, we, we probably need to talk about this later, but um, the nun committing suicide. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but as far, as far as the evil, you know, the, the evil entity primarily, because the, the other three are good. I mean, there really is a distinction. I mean, there was no every man for himself mentality that I saw. Yeah. And I mean, I guess another thing to stick in the positive category is that there was no secret, deep, dark uh, revelation that undermined the purity of the people who were involved fighting the evil. You know, that's that's the easy thing to do is like, oh, this priest actually ended up killing somebody and mm-hmm. uh, he's not a good man. They didn't do that. Now, he had demons that, that the demon used against him, but it wasn't because he had f- failed morally. That, you know, Frenchie and Sister Irene aren't put in that position either. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a world, though, where where Satan and his kingdom is uh, is very powerful. Uh, incredibly powerful, more powerful than anything we've seen documented in in human history. You know, mm-hmm. uh, able to to bend the laws of physics um, in that way because it explicitly attributes those things to Satan and the demonic. Um, it's telling it's telling a story that's that's not honest about the way Satan's power works. Um, he can't, at least based on all the evidence we have available to us, he can't make someone fall into an open grave and then instantaneously have that grave be covered with years of growth, you know, as it's filled in with dirt. Um, It's just. Uh, I may push back on that a little bit. Oh, please do then. I just. That'd be more interesting than what I saw in the movie. (laughs) I'm thinking of Job um, when God permits Satan um, to, I want to say, did fire and a tornado and. Um, like when God permitted Satan to kill Job's family, um, didn't he have power over, wasn't it a tornado? Well, yeah, yeah. So I've, I've miscommunicated. What I'm thinking about is in the movie, um, Father Burke, I think, has chased out this ghost of the little boy that died during an exorcism he performed years previously. You remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I know. I remember what you're talking about. I'm just saying I think that God may permit, and I think of the demon possessions and um, the supernatural strength, and I mean there there are things that you know God may, I don't know, He may permit the evil one to do to do things. I don't know. No, I'm I'm with you on that, but they seem to still be bounded by normal laws of physics. So when when the priest goes chasing the ghost of the young boy. You know, the demon turns on him, frightens him. He falls into an open grave. Mm-hmm. And then we immediately see that not only has dirt covered that grave, but there's like years of grass growing over the top of it instantaneously. So it seems more reasonable to me that the Lord would let him make use of phenomena like fire and tornadoes. Right, right. Where I don't see an indication to think that like Satan has the power to cause grass to grow quickly or dirt to materialize and disappear. Does that make sense? It does. 
It does. But what what I'm saying is, I, see, I don't. My understanding of Satan is is that he doesn't have power to do any of these things until God gives him that power temporarily. Um, and so I don't know. I I don't guess there are any examples that we can think of in Scripture where he did something contrary to to physics or contrary to. Uh, but I don't know. I wonder about. I wonder about entering a like possessing someone if that's. Would that be contrary to physics? Like a another entity, Invading someone that is not intelligence. Yeah, some something that is not physical, like or at least it's invisible to us. Well, it doesn't appear so because apparently the Lord has granted that you know that. But I don't think you know one of the common things you'll see in possession movies, and you know as we've talked about previously, I'm no expert on how possessed people act if, if they're still possessed people today, although I sus- I'm suspicious there are. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not expect them to go skittering across the ceiling. Yeah. It, you know, it, would they be able to speak in a language that, that the person being possessed would not otherwise have access to? That makes more sense to me because there's a there's mm-hmm. an alien intelligence who may know things that the, the host doesn't. Or they may they may even be strong because you know like we we see with like certain even recreational drugs PCP and whatnot can activate mm-hmm. certain chemical stimulus within the body that gives disproportionate strength for a period of time. Could could a could a hostile demonic intelligence possessing someone activate those same things? Sure, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it's all sort of bounded by the limitations that are inherent to human beings. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't expect that person to be able to like instantaneously grow their fingernails to a dangerous length. That seems like yeah, yeah. it would go further than what the Lord has given evidence that he allows Satan to do. And dude, if, uh, you know, <laughs> if we're ever around someone who scurries across the ceiling, like Aaron every, Rogers, every, <laughs> he would hop across the ceiling on one leg, mm. throw it 90 yards. Um, but if we're ever around someone like that, dude, every man for himself. I, I hope I hope I'm collected enough in that moment to say, "Well, I stand corrected, dude." I will run. Yeah, I will um, make like the Kool Aid guy <laughs> just plow through the wall. Hey, hey, hey. Um. So we, that's fallen redemption in this movie. I think. Uh, I mean, it doesn't really end with redemption, does it? It. Uh, I mean, it's when the I guess when they survive, um, but yeah. you know the evil is is kind of this ever present reality, and it's just gloomy. You know the glorification happens when they, you know, you just keep fighting evil. You know, and and new generations. I guess, I guess that's glorification. in This movie is if new generations pick up the baton and keep fighting. Yeah, and then maybe that certain individuals, like some of the families that the Warrens cared for in the other Conjuring movies, those people mm-hmm. had a normal life restored to them, some semblance of healing, you know. So I guess that's a version of glorification there. It's just such a pitiful and weak version compared to what Christ is actually doing. Oh, I know, man. I mean, it's these movies. I mean, well, I mean, society in general longs for Christ. They long for glorification. Yeah, that is part of what makes me so disappointed with this movie. The Conjuring 2, you know, some of our listeners may want to push back at at this, but I really think The Conjuring 2 is like one of the most God-glorifying, honest about ultimate reality movies that there is. Um, You you know, coming out of otherwise secular Hollywood, now the the creative people involved with that movie are believers, um, professing believers. But I mean... (sighs) It's just such a much better movie, The Conjuring 2, than The Nun. And part of that's because it gets religion much more right. And the value of, you know, people trying to to honor good in the face of evil. The Nun is just an opportunity to make religion jokes. Mm. And it, it just falls so short of the standard that The Conjuring main continuity movies have set. Mm. All right, so let's get into some of the analysis questions we asked. So what we're hoping to do is get the story right through what we just did, creation, fall, redemption, glorification. We're we're hoping to sketch out and kind of churn up the elements that make up this movie. Then we're going to ask some particular questions to to make sure we're processing this in light of God's glory. So, Jared, the the first one after what's the story is, where am I? And there we want to see the style and shape of the imaginary world. Where do you find yourself at in The Conjuring? Um, I guess I'm the, 
I don't know. Is Frenchie the evangelical in this? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, uh, you know, the way that he is clearly a man who chases women, that joke is a little too close to home for me right now, man. So, yeah. Maybe well, so. I didn't, mean, I didn't mean it like that. I meant he's not a Catholic, is what I was meaning. But, mm. um, like, is he, he Huguenot? Maybe. Maybe. No, I just, uh, um, I don't really fit in anywhere in this uh, because it's too. I don't know. There's too many relics. The crosses, you know, you think of the, it's almost superstitious to me. Well, not almost. It is superstitious. Oh, it's super superstitious, but it's self-contradictory too. Yeah. Um, yeah I'll, I'll save that for what's distorted, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't really see myself. I mean, to be fair, I, I don't know. I thought the movie was, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't have, I don't have that. I'm finding it difficult to find something good to say about the story, about the even the filming, the acting, the I mean, the music. I really even the scary scenes. I, I just was mm-hmm. I just was not impressed. It's his weak sauce. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, where I am in that movie, I guess I am invested with Sister Irene's character, and I want her to be okay and come out okay on the far end. Mm-hmm. But that I mean, that's really the only point of empathy I had in the whole movie, and it was just. It was hard to maintain, man. Um, should I ask the next one? What's good, true, and awesome here? Behold, common grace. Yeah, um, I think the reality of evil and the reality of good. Um, I think that that that's that's something that is common, a common reality. Um, I think an emphasis on the supernatural that there is a supernatural reality, um, and that there are. I mean, there are demons. Um, I do think I, I think it was weak on the story, like the origin of the demon, and like they what they kept. How'd they keep the thing in the basement? Like, dude, I don't know the the <laughs> internal logic of this movie is well, it's just hard to find it. Like they never tell. Like <laughs> the thing is just in the basement. Why are the nuns even going down there? <laughs> Why, when a pit from hell opens and releases a demon, does it fill with water? Did you yeah. I mean, did you hear any explanation for that? No, that's a good call. Yeah. Uh, it's just, yeah, it, it's just really, it's really poor. And like you said, you know, we get this sense that Valak basically hangs out in the basement behind this door. Yeah. But also Valak can roam the halls at night and take over the chapel and, you know, come up to the doorway and snatch a nun when she gets too close. But also he's trapped because the pit's just open. I, I mean, it's just dumb. It's one of the things I oh, like about the, the conjuring is that they the, they take time to tell a careful story, and yes. they threw that all away here. Yeah, and an earthquake is what eventually set him free. Like it wasn't even a. <laughs> it was a bomb. It was a bomb. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a bomb cracked the seal that the blood of Christ had already had originally created. I mean, dude, it's just it gives you a nosebleed trying to work through it. You're thinking yeah. about this movie more than anybody involved in creating it. <laughs> that's true. That's what, hey, listener, that's what you've come to expect from us, where we're thinking, we're thinking more than the, <laughs> than the directors, huh? What if we, what if we made the bad demon a nun? What if we did that? That'd scare everybody, wouldn't it? I mean, that's really <laughs> how I think the writer's room played out. <laughs> hey, hey. We'll have like this this ritual where we bring up the demon from hell, but then it the blood of Christ, you know, puts him back there. But then a bomb. <laughs> Why have a bomb? Like, I mean, if a bomb can war's do bad. it, war's bad. We don't <laughs> we don't like war. Oh, let's have a nun kill herself. But it turns out that's a good thing. It's a good thing for the nun to kill herself. Yeah. yeah. And I what mean, is up with that? Like he he needs a he needs in order to escape the castle. He needs a body. You tell me because. He's able to run around on the grounds quite freely. You know, when Frenchie's walking away, um, he's able to be out in the courtyard. I mean, I guess they said that, like, all those crosses are keeping evil in. Maybe, I don't know, dude. Maybe all those crosses are like an electronic dog leash, and that's as far (laughs) as it can go. Maybe it needs a body to go knock down some crosses so it can walk out. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's what Frenchie is. It possesses Frenchie so he can... In, in physical form, skip past those crosses. I, again, I really am grasping at straws here in a way that I don't think anybody who made the movie did. Do you do you think the nun could jump the crosses? Like like the Dukes of Hazard? Yes. I think that's going to be one of the deleted scenes when this <laughs> Blu-ray is released. 
Uh, Jared, so I I do want to affirm some of the things you raised up. Like this movie backs into acknowledging some things that are true. There is a supernatural realm. Um, there is hostile supernatural forces that are at war against God's good kingdom. Uh, God is ultimately more powerful than them. Uh, you know, this movie also doesn't assume that every religious authority is a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Was it odd for you watching a movie about Catholics in the current crisis we're seeing play out in the Roman church? Oh, my goodness. I'm surprised, actually, that they released this. Like, I, I'm surprised they didn't punt and kick it down the road, you know? Yeah. Because I think it's got to be affecting it negatively. I mean, wouldn't that have to be? Like, it's a positive movie about the Catholic church. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really don't know. I, I just, I, when they, when they're, when the priest is in front of the Cardinals, I kept expecting them to like show their hand and these guys be lecherous and vile people. But that wasn't really the case. They just said, well, we don't really understand why they did this. And that's it. They just punt. No, they're, they're the wisest dudes in the room because they, they make him go get this obscure nun because of her visions. Like from oh, when she was a right. kid. That's right. That's right. It is even more positive than I was remembering. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so it, it, yeah, you know, even in a moment, which I, I realized they couldn't have anticipated what came out in the um, the grand jury in Philadelphia when they were making this movie. But in, even in a cultural moment where people are particularly prone and primed and with good reason to be critical of the Catholic Church, this movie doesn't just say, hey, all religious people are idiots and hypocrites and monsters, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to so, st- show some love to this movie. Uh, what's distorted, evil, and false? How can I subvert idolatry? I think the the relics, um, the dependence on the authority, so-called authority of the church, um, the door that says God ends here. Um, <laughs> I think that was probably the dumbest part of the movie, um, as if you can keep God out of... <laughs> We kind of have the doctrine of omnipresence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, if God is not in that room, there's nothing else in that room. Like, Well, just to point out the internal problems with this movie, isn't the blood of Christ stored in a room beyond that door? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever the nun. Do better. Yeah, for real. Um, I mean, uh, oh, mainly the, the relics. Um the relics and and I'm so thankful that I have access to the blood of Christ. Like I've I've been washed in the blood, you know. I've um, been atoned for, and I didn't have to go to some vial that that is in some convent in what Romania, dude. Yeah. So if we can just talk about that for a second, the idea, you know, of relics. You and I are both grandsons of the Reformation. We think of those as vain superstitions. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's on the table. If you're a Roman Catholic listener, hey, we appreciate you listening, but we have pronounced theological uh, disagreements with the dogma of the Roman Catholic Church. I just want to own that. But man, aside from that, could they have found a tackier Christmas ornament to keep the blood of Jesus in? I know. I know. I mean, they needed something archaic. I mean, this this stuff is <laughs> this stuff <laughs> is 2000 years old. It looks like something I would have won throwing ping pong balls into a goldfish cup <laughs> at the county fair. Oh, it's man. horrible. It is. It is. And then her putting it in her mouth and uh, yeah, spitting it in the face. Of the, yeah. I mean, really, my out of all my criticisms of this movie, the one I feel the heaviest is that this movie wants to both be super reverent about religious um What's the right word? Superstition is what comes to mind again, but it's sort of religious trappings, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got the priest and the nuns and the holy water and the relics and and the rituals. We've got all that stuff. It wants us to really think that those things are important and powerful. But in the exact same breath, it also takes pains to make us laugh at those things. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm talking about this just as a consumer of the movie, not even as a Christian who's looking at this theologically. You can't have it both ways. You can't pull out a bobble and say, look, the very blood of Christ as the the MacGuffin that's going to fix all the problems in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then have the guy standing next to that person say something crass and crude about it. Mm-hmm. And the first guy not blink an eye. I mean... Again, this movie just wants to throw everything at the wall. Oh, religious trappings make for really good scary movie imagery. Cool. Oh, we, you know, we're too cool. We're we're gonna 
We're going to let everybody know that we think religion's a bunch of bunk. You can make a good movie from either perspective. Mm-hmm. But you can't make a good movie trying to do both of them at the same time. It's like the law of non-contradiction yeah. applied to trappings of your film. And just, just so we're clear, the Frenchie, when he sees the blood of Christ and understands what it is, he says, holy crap. He yeah, say only crap. the more vile version of that. Yeah, and the priest says the holiest. Yeah, I mean, out of a movie that is just like a cut and paste collection of a scrapbook of stupid moments, that's the stupidest. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I mean, they should have burst into flames. Right? I, yeah. mean, I mean, if you're uh, or nothing, I mean, you know, I, if somebody could produce a toenail clipping of Jesus, I think he had toenails that had to be cut. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I could grind it up and throw it in somebody's face and them shriek if they're right, possessed by right. a demon. You know, what oh, I mean? absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't even know. I just. I just am so frustrated by this movie. I wanted to love this movie. I wanted this to be the movie going into to the fall that was like, yeah, man, go go see that if you want to scare this fall. And it just it was terrible in every you know every angle of dissection. It's just awful. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess rather than repeat that another time, Jared, any I mean, I think you've already kind of alluded to it. Any sense of how we can think about the gospel from this movie or talk to our our neighbors about the gospel? Um. Yeah, I think I think what Christ offers is is so much better than this movie offers. I mean, he, you know, the demons. First off, the demons are terrified of Christ. Um, I mean, they know who he is, and, they and know they're not terrified is. of the splinters from the cross. Right? They're not terrified of you know the the Christmas ornament with blood in it. They're terrified of the man sitting on the throne right yeah, now. That's right. That's exactly right. They're they're scared to death. I mean, even when he walked the earth with us. I mean, with man, he, you know, there were thousands of demons, um, in one, uh, one man. And, you know, they, they knew their fate and begged for Christ not to punish them, not to, you know, basically send them to judgment right then. And he sent them into a herd of swine instead. And, um, you know, Christ offers so much more as far as, um, well, I mean, we have access to Him, union with Christ through the Holy Spirit. And listener, if you think of the language that the church is described as, and not only that, but you think that we are so identified with Christ. You remember when Christ appeared to Saul, who later became Paul, when he appeared to him on the Damascus Road, he said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And as far as we know, Saul, Tarsus, had never met Christ um, while he walked the earth. And so when did he persecute him? Well, when he persecuted the church. And the, the church is so identified with Christ through union by the Holy Spirit to him that offense against the church, persecution against the church, those who are trusting in Christ, is against Christ himself. And so he literally, I mean, he he will pick up and fight our battles for us one day. He's going to right all wrongs. And I, I believe he's ruling and reigning now. Um, but if he doesn't, um, you know, we, we long for specific types of justice, don't we? But if if it doesn't come now, it will. I mean, we will rule and reign with him for all eternity. We are one with Christ. And, you know, Jeff, I believe that even I believe there's a and this is going to sound odd. And I don't know if we've talked about this before, um, but I believe that a day is coming when we we have an even we have a some sort of physical union with Christ. Um, in the new heavens and new earth. Do what? Yeah. Um, by physical union, I mean, so you think of the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians when he's talking about um, death being swallowed up, how he longs to be swallowed up in life. He's talking about being absent from the body, present with the Lord. He, he, he's not, he doesn't want to be unzipped from his body, but he, he longs to be swallowed up in life. And it's, it seems to me that there is... So right now we're, we have a spiritual union with Christ. Um, I, I believe that in the new heavens and new earth. So I believe our loved ones who are absent from the body and present with the Lord, that they are experiencing somehow they're being swallowed up in life, even though they don't have their bodies right now um, with the Lord. But one day when they receive their new bodies, um, somehow I, I believe in the new heavens and new earth, there's an even greater union um, and maybe I shouldn't say physical. I'll just say a greater union with Christ in the new heavens and new earth than there is now. Hmm. You got to tell me more about this off air. Yeah, yeah. I'm just. It, it seems um, 
that union with Christ is greater and greater and greater. Like it's it's greater for our loved ones in heaven, and it's greater. Uh, I mean, if we're talking about what Paul, what 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 does he mean when he talks about being swallowed up in life, absent from the body, present with the Lord, um, and then in the new heavens and new earth, when earth and heaven become one, and and there's no, there's literally. Um, I mean, there, there's no—I mean, it's physical. It's a new heavens and new earth, but there's no sin. There's no corruption. There's no temptation. There's no evil. Um, I don't know. So what this movie longs for is that new heavens and new earth, that union with Christ, that protection, that eternal protection from evil, that eternal cleansing. And um, I'm just thankful that, man, Christ, union with Christ, there's nothing better. And I need to be reminded of that constantly because the world's pulling us the opposite direction. Amen. I think the thing that I was left with coming out of this one was some of the imagery in this movie is drawn from the Bible. Like we have the image of the pit, right? I mean, that's the language even that uh, demons use with Christ. Don't send us away into the pit. Um, and Valak is flushed down the, the pit, you know, toilet imagery into hell or whatever. And the thing that I came away with was thinking about Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, right? John the Revelator sees this vision of the exalted Christ, and he's awesome to behold, you know, voice like rushing waters. And he says, don't be afraid. I was dead, and I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell. Mm -hmm. And, And this movie makes this big deal about how the blood of Christ shuts this pit to hell, but it can't keep it shut. Yeah. I'm I'm just glad that I worship the guy who disarmed hell and is in charge of it. If he mm-hmm. wants a pit opened up, like, you know, there's imagery of the pit being opened up in Revelation, depending on how you interpret that, <laughs> he may let Apollyon loose for a while. But he's doing it as the key holder. He's not doing it as the guy who had had to have some kind of religious totem associated with him, you know, used as a mechanism to, to mm-hmm. win a temporary good. Yeah. Uh, he's just so sovereign uh, that even even hell, death, those things are in his hand and work for his ends. And uh, while I don't deserve it, it is incredibly sweet to be on his team. Amen. My man, buddy. Well, Jared, this movie was terrible, but the gospel is <laughs> really good. Amen. <laughs> is that the most like evangelical film critic thing we could say? Yes. The movie's bad, but the gospel is good. This is the deep waters here at the Pop Culture Quorumdale podcast. That's right. All their minds have already been blown from the beginning to the end. Guys, don't watch this movie. I mean, like, if you are the last remaining person with an active movie pass, don't use it on this. If you've got AMC, A-list, don't use it on this. Certainly don't use your hard-earned money on this movie. Just stay away. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Jared, where can they find you outside of the world of Pop Culture Quorum Deo? Hey, you can find me on Twitter at Jared H. Moore. You can find me on Facebook at All Truth is God's Truth. Uh, you can find Jeff and I on Pathios, pathios.com forward slash blogs, forward slash Pop Culture Quorum Deo. Check out some of our companion pieces. And we're actually going to be uh, releasing a list of uh, 31 days of horror movies. Um, and it will be um, movies that don't have nudity or sexuality in them. Um, so if you're interested in watching, you know, some, I want to, I don't want to say clean horror movies, but horror movies that are, that those things are left out of, we'll be releasing that here in the next week or two. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I kind of want to get started watching through those movies now, but just to watch my palette from having seen the nun. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, if you want to find me, I'm at right. Jeff on most social media platforms. You can find me at Jeff, com. I post there uh, more infrequently in recent days, but nonetheless, my scattered thoughts are gathered up there. Uh, we would love to have you connect with us uh, as a podcast on social media, uh, particularly the Facebook group, the perpetual after party, pop culture, quorum Deo perpetual after party. It's linked to from our Facebook page. There are a number of participants in that group. Uh, they are some of the best things about this podcast we do here in uh, feedback and ideas, things they're watching. Uh, love to have you jump in there. If you're willing to go by iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review, we would certainly appreciate that. Of course, we covet five-star reviews, but we'll take whatever you can give in honesty and thank you for it. So yeah, if you can get by and leave us a review, much appreciated in advance. Uh, Jared, I think we know what we're going to watch next time, don't we? 
Oh yeah, I think we're going to try out the Predators. Predator, I guess is what it's called. Yeah, not the hockey team. Uh, that comes out this weekend. We're hoping to see the Thursday night showing. And once we do, we'll get back on here, turn on the mics, and let you guys know what uh, what this movie looks like when it's examined in the light of God's glory. So until then, we want to say thanks for listening to this episode, and we'll talk to you next time on the Pop Culture Quorumdale Podcast. <laughs>